situational problem or Swamiji calls topical problem. <clears throat> what is this fundamental problem? Fundamental problem arises from ignorance of myself. We are born ignorant, ignorant of ourselves as well as ignorant of the world. As we grow up, we keep on shedding ignorance. We go to schools and colleges and whatever and we keep on sharing ignorance with reference to the world. But usually, there's no opportunity to share ignorance about myself. And we don't even know. I know that I do not know the world, and therefore I need to learn physics and chemistry and engineering or whatever. But I do not know that I do not know myself. Because I think that I know who I am. Except that the Opinions I am entertaining about myself, they do not represent the true nature of myself. Thus we are born with this ignorance, which manifests itself in the form of wrong opinions, of false notions, or false perception about my own self. To explain the nature of ignorance, Vedanta gives the example of rope snake, very familiar example, that one perceives a snake where there is a rope. Now, two aspects are involved. One is, I do not know the object as a rope, and secondly, I take it to be snake. So not knowing and knowing it wrongly, these are the two aspects in the rope snake example. And similarly, in our own case also, I do not know myself truly and I take myself contrary to what I am. I do not know the Satchitananda I am. This morning we say that everybody is searching for Satchitananda. Everybody wants to become Satchitananda, want to become immortal, to become happy, to become enlightened. Not recognizing that the happiness or immortality or knowledge is my nature. There is no way that you don't suspect it. All our experiences seem to indicate that I am a limited being. Whenever I think of myself, I always find myself a limited being. One who is subject to birth and death. One whose knowledge is very limited. One whose capacities are limited. One who has a limited control over things. And thus I find myself a limited being in every way. So that is my experience, and that also seems to be everybody's experience with reference to themselves. Vedanta says that, that is not the true perception about myself. 
In fact, I am just the opposite of what I take myself to be. I am not a mortal being. The I, the true I, is immortal. Ignorance is not is not located in I. In fact, nature of I is consciousness or knowledge. Sorrow also is not located in I. The nature of I is in ananda or happiness or fullness. And therefore what it is that I am trying to become is what I already am. What it is that I am seeking in my life that I already am. And unfortunately, as long as it is my conclusion that I am a mortal being, etc., so long, I always remain a seeker of immortality because I have taken for granted that I am a mortal being. And we never have an opportunity to question these notions or opinions about ourselves. Human mind questions all kinds of things. We question scriptures. We question teachers. We question about God. Everything is questioned, which is okay. But one thing that we do not question is my opinions about myself. I think I know that I am a limited being. I know. And therefore, when I know that I am a limited being, there is a natural attempt or struggle to become free from limitedness. But like the tenth man, what he's searching for is his own self. While counting the ten, he does not take himself into account and think the tenth man is lost and is searching for him. One who is searching for him is the tenth man. And you never suspect that I am the tenth man because he has concluded that the tenth man is lost, that I am the ninth man. It needs someone else to point out to him that, look, you are the tenth man, you are not ninth, you are the tenth man. <coughs> so also it takes Upanishad or the teacher to point out to me that, hey, you are Nichiri Satchidananda, you are not a limited, mortal, ignorant, sorrowful being with which you wake yourself, that's not your nature. If I take myself to be a sorrowful being, there is no way that I can become free from sorrow, or no way that I can become happy, extra happiness may come in spurts and then go away, and so it is not possible because happiness is not to be gained from somewhere else. Happiness is to be gained from my own self, and therefore all the time my attempts is to get happiness from something, and that is not going to be successful. So human being never finds himself successful really, in the true sense. Although there is success in the worldly terms, which success is satisfying the ego, no doubt about that, but in the heart of the heart, he doesn't feel really satisfied with life. So Lord Krishna teaches this, Vedanta teaches this, and this is what Lord Krishna also teaches in the Bhagavad Gita, that you are immortal, you are not a mortal being. Lord Krishna says, Natvevaham jatunasam here Arjuna, it never was that I was not, Lord Krishna says, I always was. It never was that you were not, you always were. It never was that all these people were not, all of them were. It never was that we were not, 
meaning that we always were. That means we have no beginning, we have no birth. And Lord Krishna says, it will not be that we will not be, we will always be. So Lord Krishna says that you and I and all these people who are here and everybody, in fact, nobody has in true sense birth or death. Each one of us is nitya or eternal. Now when Lord Krishna says this, a question will naturally arise. What are you saying, Lord? I know that I was born. I know that you were born. I was born. All these fellows were born. I know that someday I am going to die. This fellow also will die. How do you say that we are never born and will never die? How do you say that? So this statement seems to totally contradict our experience. So what it means is that both are right. We cannot be totally wrong. I mean, we do experience birth and death. So we are also right. And Lord Krishna says, there is no birth and death. That is, he also is right. Can both be right? Is it possible that there is birth and death also, and there is no birth and no death also? Yes, it is possible. Only possible when birth and death belongs to something, and birthlessness belongs to something else. So Lord Krishna says that, in what you call I, there are these two entities involved, one is the Purusha, other is Prakriti, the consciousness and the matter, the person and the personalities. That is body-mind complex is your personality, you are the person, you are the self, the consciousness. So there is birth, no doubt, at the level of body, there is death also at the level of body. <coughs> But when all these changes are taking place in the body, the self remains unchanged. Dehinosmin yathadehe kaumaram yavanam jara tathadehantara praptihi dhiras tatramukhyate. Lord Krishna says that just as for the person, for the body, there is this childhood, there is this youth, middle age, old age, and even death, all these changes take place in the body. But there is someone who knows these changes. Even when I am an old person, I remember that I who was young, I who was a child is I who is an old person. When a grandfather describes how it was when he got married, that means sixty years ago, he tells his grandchild how wonderful it was. That time the grandfather knows that I who was at the age of twenty is I who am at the age of eighty. I don't feel that when I was small that there was a different I, that now that I am big there is a different I, I know that the I is the same, there is a continuity. It is true, at the age of twenty the body had one kind of configuration, at the age of eighty the body is a lot of undergone a lot of change, so yes, change also takes place, but when all these changes are taking place in body and mind and everywhere, there is something that does not change. Because if that thing changed, I would not have recollection that I, I the one who was child was the one who was youth, was the one who was middle-aged, that recollection would not be, if the I also changed. Because memory or recollection can be only when the experience is the same, 
I can only remember what I experienced. I cannot remember what you experienced. And there, if there was one eye when there was a child, another eye when there was youth, the youth cannot recollect the experience of child. That shows that I is persistent. Even through all the changes, the I does not change. Same thing about every day also. We are awake right now. When you go to sleep, then you dream also, then you fall asleep, you experience fastly in a deep sleep. Even these changes take place every day. When I wake up in the morning, I know that the one who was sleeping is the one who has woken up. Not that the person sleeping was different from the one who has woken up. When I wake up in the morning, I don't have the feeling that a new I has woken up. So I is continuous. Everything is discontinuous, perhaps. The body also is not the same. The, uh, they say that every seven years the blood changes completely. Every moment the cells are dying and, and being born, and therefore everything changes. Although I may think that this body is the same, it's perhaps not the same. <coughs> and still, in all of this, something is the same, and that is the self. Lord Krishna, from this Lord Krishna points out that look, you cannot be the body, you are the one who knows, is aware of the body, who is aware of the changes. You cannot be the mind because you are aware of the changes taking place in the mind. Swamiji, I am very restless. You are not restless, you are all silence. No, Swami, I am restless. You are all silence. But Swami, I told you I am restless. From Swami, he comes to Swami. You are all silence. Swami, if we repeat this once more, there will be two restless persons. So then Swami asks him, okay, how do you say you are restless? I know I am restless. How do you say? How do you know? My mind is restless. Okay. So restlessness belongs to mind. Who are you? You are the knower of the restless mind. Is it not so? If you were the mind, you would not know yourself. One, see, we think that we are all stationary. Because we are on the earth. Even though earth is rotating around the sun at the rate of 11 miles per second. We don't know that. Because we are revolving along with earth. In fact, we think the sun is revolving, which it is not. And therefore, if I was changing, I would never know the change. The fact that I am aware of changes shows that I does not change. <coughs> the simple rule that the knower is different from what is known. The awareer is different from what is aware of. I'm aware of the body, I'm aware of the changes, aware of the mind, of its emotions, of the thoughts, I'm aware of all of this. That shows that you, the aware, is different from that. <coughs> That's from the second chapter, Lord Krishna teaches what we call Atma, Anatma, Viveka, a discrimination between self and non-self. And here, Juna, in Swami's language, understand that a lumping is taking place in the life. <coughs> you're lumping things together. You're a lumper, he says, lumper. Who is a lumper who lumps things together? So what is lumped together? 
the self and non-self, both are lumped together, and we think there is one, whereas there are two. <coughs> like when you heat if iron ball in the, in, the, in the furnace, it becomes red hot, and the fire pervades every grain of iron. It looks like there is one entity called fireball, where there are two, iron and fire. And so also, there's one entity called the body. In fact, there are two. That the condescensions in the body is not due to the body, is due to the consciousness which imparts sentiency. When you see a bulb glowing, the glow is not due to bulb, it's due to electricity. By itself, the bulb is not glowing. By itself, bulb is uh, without any glow. So also, by itself, the body is not sentient or conscious. That consciousness or sense of the body is due to something else, which is a self. And thus, Lord Krishna draws our attention. Because we have taken for granted that I am the body, I am the mind. That is taken for granted. And therefore, whatever limitations of body are, are already assumed to be my limitations. And we never have an opportunity to question these conclusions. That is where Vedanta comes in. But Vedanta, in fact, asks us to scrutinize these very fundamental conclusions. <coughs> and says that it is this conclusion about myself which is the cause of all of us all. That's a fundamental problem. Wrong conclusions about myself. False perception of myself which in turn give rise to the false perception of the world and also give rise to the false perception of God. Thus, my life is full of wrong notions about the self, about the world, about God. And therefore, this jiva or ego is nothing but a bunch of wrong notions. <coughs> and when the basic assumption is wrong, whatever we do is also going to be wrong. Like an arithmetic, let's say, imagine x is equal to 100, you know. If that basic step is wrong, the rest of the thing may be right, but then the answer is going to be wrong. And so also my basic assumption that I'm a seeker, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an inadequate being, I'm a lacking, wanting being, I'm a limited being, that's my basic assumption, that itself is wrong. And therefore, whatever I do in life is going to be wrong. That is why there is no success in life. We may have our own reasons to believe why we are not happy. But Vedanta says that the only reason why we are not, if we are not happy, the only reason why we are not happy is, is a wrong notion about myself. That is where correction has to happen. So this is the fundamental thing. Lord Krishna first offers the fundamental solution. Najayate miriyateva karachit in the self is never born, it never dies, it has no growth, no decay, no change, no doership, no enjoyership. It ever abides in its own limitlessness, in its own glory, untouched or unaffected by all the changes taking place in matter. Then you are changeless, ever complete, ever limitless, abiding in your own glory. It is not that you are limitless or happiness because of something. 
It is not that the fire is hot because of something, because heat is the nature of fire and so also. It is not that the self is happiness because of something. Happiness is your nature. Therefore, describing an enlightened person, a wise person, Lord Krishna says, How is he? Prajahati yada kaman. One who is by knowing the true nature of self, one has become free from all needs, all wants, all lacking, because he has discovered a total contentment from his own self, Atmaneva, Atmanatushta, one who is truly satisfied with himself. <coughs> so this self, this satisfaction can be said to be the fundamental human problem, and self-satisfaction is the fundamental solution. Except that self-satisfaction is not to be accomplished through some other means. Self-satisfaction is to be accomplished by knowing that satisfaction or contentment or happiness is my nature. So this is a fundamental problem. This fundamental problem or this false perception of myself creates in me the needs that are not legitimate. My need that I want to be happy is not a legitimate need. I'm always seeking happiness, seeking love, seeking comfort, seeking security, seeking... I'm seeking this, I'm a seeker right now. But then, these needs are not legitimate. And that's the reason why these needs can never be satisfied. A legitimate need can be satisfied, an illegitimate need cannot be satisfied. I'm always begging from the world to give me happiness and the world tries, poor thing. The world wants to help me. That's the best they can do. It's not that the world is always cruel, it's very kind also. And they try to do what best they can do. To make the Swami comfortable, what can you do? If I'm not comfortable with myself, you can't make me comfortable regardless of what you give me. You can create an air-conditioned place, you can create all kinds of comforts. Best of the couches are there, best of the pillows are there, everything is there. The foot rest is there, the headrest is there, this is there. everything is there. But then, as long as I am not comfortable with myself, what could these poor things do? So Vedanta says that your seeking happiness or seeking love or seeking comfort is not a legitimate need. Meaning that, that is a need that can never be satisfied. That is where you have to discover from yourself. As Swamiji says, there are two kinds of problems. A set of problems where the solution lies outside the problem. <clears throat> the problem of fish, the solution lies within the problem. So when you're doing that crossword puzzle, you know, when you have to fill in some missing letter and things like that, the solution is within the problem, not outside the problem. When this little child dismantles the clock, doesn't know how to assemble it again, but solution is within the problem. He just doesn't know how to assemble, but otherwise the solution lies there. 
Similarly, that I'm sad, I'm unhappy, I'm wanting, I'm lacking, the solution is within myself, not outside of myself. What's the nature of solution? To recognize that this is a wrong notion about myself. In fact, I am not what I take myself to be. <clears throat> but for that I am seeking solution outside. In terms of money, in terms of power, in terms of recognition, in terms of association, company, all kinds of things. And they seem to give me some temporary relief, they seem to give me some symptomatic treatment, but only symptomatic. The basic disease remains. <clears throat> and that can be only resolved or solved by the basic solution, which is the knowledge of the self. <clears throat> and this basic problem arising from a false notion of myself creates problems in my day-to-day -day life. I feel hurt when somebody does not treat me properly. I feel guilty when I do not treat somebody properly. I feel a failure when things do not go my way. I get absurd or angry when people do not cooperate with me or demand, fulfill my demands. So this hurt, guilt, Anger. When I see somebody better than me, I'm jealous. So I think that that person is responsible for my jealousy. I think that that person is responsible for my anger. In fact, <clears throat> all of these problems also arise from our own self. <clears throat> our own wrong perception. So what is Lord Krishna's solution to this? Is it a solution to our day-to-day problems? Sometimes I get upset, I get angry, I get depressed, I get frustrated. This is a day-to-day -day situation. What is the solution Lord Krishna provides? Lord Krishna says, Nityancha samachitattvam ishta nishtopapattishu. Here, Arjuna, you will encounter ishta and anishta, meaning desirable and undesirable situations. You will encounter comfort and discomfort. You will encounter success and failure. You will encounter honor and dishonor, praise and censure. This is how nobody is free or nobody is spared of this ordeal that one has to confront the pairs of opposites. This is what life is made of. Life is made of dvandva or pairs of opposites. Like the two sides of a coin, birth and death. Success and failure. Comfort and discomfort. Day and night, heat and cold, you will always have to confront these changing situations. Not only that, but you do not know what the next moment will bring you. So question is how to deal with uncertainties of life, Swamiji? Life is very unpredictable. 
uncertain because we cannot control what the future is. I can control my effort, I cannot control the outcome of the effort and thus I have very limited control over the situation. Situation seems to have their own agenda, their own law, their own rhythm and accordingly the world and the situations keep on changing. I don't know what the next moment will bring. And therefore, there can never be certainty about my mood if next moment brings comfort or honor, then I'm happy. Brings discomfort or dishonor, I'm unhappy. That right now, it is, I who, it is not I who decides whether I'll be happy or unhappy. It is the world that decides. If it is merciful to me and becomes favorable to me, I'm happy. If it doesn't show the mercy, becomes unfavorable, I'm unhappy. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says, Samatvam, Nityancha Samachitattvam, all the time maintaining the sameness of the mind, all the time maintaining equanimity of the mind. Says Lord Krishna, this will happen. Don't try to change the world. Tam Bharata. Things that come will go. Everything is impermanent. And therefore, let it come and go. <coughs> or, whatever comes, accept it gracefully. With welcome everything that comes in your life. Whether it's comfort or discomfort. Honor or dishonor. Success or failure. Meaning that, do not get attached to them. Do not get identified with them. Recognize that success also belongs to the world, to non-self and not to self. Recognize that failure also belongs to non-self, to the matter, to the world and not to the self. Meaning that all the pairs of opposites belong to prakriti, belong to personality, belong to matter. In all of these, the self, the consciousness, the person ever remains unchanged. Like an actor, maybe presently acting as a beggar, later on may act as a king, very later on may act as a master, and so changes do take place. But all these changes take place in the costume. Changes do not take place in the actor who puts on the costume. And so also we should remind ourselves that comfort and discomfort, pleasure and pain, Success and failure, day and night, honor and dishonor, these things are there in life. But they do not belong to self and they never in fact affect me. Just as when the actor is acting as a beggar, he goes through all kinds of experiences. Sometimes somebody is kind to him and gives him something. Somebody can be cruel and insult him also. And so this beggar, experiences kindness and cruelty in everything. But all of this is confined at the level of the role and nothing touches the actor. Is it not so? Actors should only remember this much, that I'm actor, I'm not a beggar. If he becomes a beggar, if he identifies the role, then all the dishonor given to beggar becomes his dishonor. But as long as he maintains a distance between the role and himself, so long he knows 
That is lottery he won. That is all in the play, in the drama. It doesn't belong to him. He doesn't become elated because he won the lottery in a play. Nor does he become depressed because he lost a lot of money in, in some stock market or something like that. He knows all of this belongs to the role. Nothing belongs to me. How the actor can maintain an equanimity of mind or a balance of mind when he's able to maintain a distance between himself and the role. Suppose that is difficult. Suppose that is difficult. Because that identifying the role is so habitual, such hard wiring that we are not able to create the distance. We become that. We become our body. We become our intellect. That's called ego. And poor ego will definitely suffer from success and failure, no doubt about that. So, accepting at this time that Swamiji, I do not have the knowledge of myself. I cannot yet create a distance between the role and myself. The separation of self and non-self is not clear to me. Okay. Even as ego also, when you function in life, how do we do? Because samatvam, yoga huchade, maintain samatvam. You can still maintain the equanimity of the mind. This is understand Bhagavad Gita's solution to day-to-day problems. What's our day-to-day problem that we keep on reacting to situations as they arise before us? If the situation is judged by me as favorable, then I react with happiness of his elation. And if the situation is judged as unfavorable, I react with depression, with sadness. So my mind keeps on jumping up and down from elation to depression. The poor thing gets exhausted. So how do you maintain equanimity? Lord Krishna says that there is something equal in all of the unequal things also. There is something common to both success and failure. Something common to honor and dishonor. In all these pairs of opposites we confront in our life, there is something common in all the pairs of opposites. What is that? Lord Krishna says, recognize that all of this comes from me. Thus, in our day-to-day life, we can maintain balance of mind if we bring Ishvara into our life. Otherwise, it's difficult to recognize that there is Ishvara. He is a creator. He is a sustainer. And therefore, what comes to me moment to moment is all created by Him, is all given by Him. What is the nature of Ishvara? He is the infinite wisdom. So every moment whatever gets created is due to infinite wisdom. Swamiji, infinite wisdom may be there, so what? What do I have, what, you know, how does it help me? Infinite wisdom seems to create create a pain for me. What's the big deal about infinite wisdom? The second thing is that infinite wisdom is benevolent. So we are doing the sixth chapter. The last sentence of the fifth chapter is Suhrudam Sarabhutanam Jnatvamam Shantim Prachati. Knowing me as Suhrud, 
Lord Krishna says, knowing me, Ishwara Suhrut, the well-wisher of everybody. Suhrut and Mitram. Mitram is a friend. A friend is usually a person who favors me in return of my favor to him. They usually be a friend, there's always a relationship of give and take. I do something for him, he does something for me. That's called friend. But who is a Suhrut? Suhrut is a person who does things without waiting for any return in favor. Without expectation of return in favor. Without any consideration of the return of favor, he just favors. Very few people, but sometimes I encounter such people. When you're stuck on a highway and you don't know what's happened to your car, you open the hood of the car, all you can see are a million parts in there, you don't know what to do, you touch here and touch there and then nothing happens. You tighten some screw and open some cap and whatever, nothing happens. At that time, someone who is driving by stops, comes along, and then he just takes charge of the situation. He understands what the problem, he understands some problem is there with the car, he opens the hood, he knows what's going on in there, he tightens something and that it starts running again. Or maybe there was a flat tire. I didn't even know where the jack was and how to do things. <coughs> he comes, takes charge of situation. There are some people who do that. They just come and take charge of a situation. Don't worry, Swami, stand on the side. He opens the trunk and knows exactly where the jack is. He knows where it's super, how to lift the car, how to change the tire. In ten minutes he does everything. And before an operator asks him who he is, he just goes by. There are people in this world. That's how the world is running, you know. Don't think there is always cruelty everywhere and there is evil everywhere. There's a lot of goodness. The only evil and cruelty this world could not run. The world runs only on dharma or righteousness. The world runs on goodness. Thank God there is plenty of measure of goodness in the world. Otherwise we could not survive. <coughs> so there are such good people in the world. The good Samaritan who helps for the sake of helping. He is called Suhrut. Not a friend but better than friend. <clears throat> Lord Krishna says, I am Suhrut. Totally I am friend, I am the unseen well-wisher. That I wish well of everybody, I do what is in their best interest, and nobody even knows that I have done it. He never declares his, his, his presence or existence. Suppose we take this word of Lord Krishna. He is always a well-wisher. He is benevolent. He is kind. Not only is infinite wisdom, not only is all-knowing, not only is all-powerful, but that he is kind. He is Kripalu or kind. That's an important dimension about God. God is creator, sustainer, dissolver, everything is okay. He is the karma he gives me the results of my action. That a mechanical thing also could do, really. 
Oh, that there is an order and everything acts according to order. That also could need not be, you know, that, that can be still completely uh, unsympathetic or completely unconcerned about me. And we may or may not have much use of that God who is creator, sustainer, dissolver, ordainer and stuff like that. It's okay. It's going on. But that he is benevolent. That he is kind. That he is my well-wisher. This is to be taken on trust, but this is what the scriptures tell us. The Bhagavad Gita tells us. As I just quoted a verse, Suhrudam Sarabhutanam I am the well-wisher of all beings, not just human beings, all living, everything. Which means that whatever situation is created for me, I would accept it in all faith as meant to help me in some way or the other. Even though it is painful, I still am able to accept it without being totally upset, without being resentful or without being angry. I can accept also a painful situation with my faith that there must be some growth potential involved in here. <clears throat> if you recognize that human life is meant for spiritual growth, then there is no problem. If you think that human life is meant for a meant to be a process of material growth, then we will have a problem with God, definitely. How can he win the lottery, I did not win the lottery? How come he got admission in medical school? I did not get. How come he got promotion? I did not get. There are all kinds of problems. But if you realize that the human life is meant to be a process of inner growth, emotional growth, spiritual growth. Life is not meant for simply comfort and pleasure. It is meant for something much more than that. Something more important than that. That it is meant for my inner growth. Every situation comes to me, comes to me to, to make me stronger than what I am. To make me larger than what I am. Because they say, the only way to solve a problem is to become larger than the problem. When a problem comes, what we do is we manipulate things and, you know, and try to solve the problem. Doesn't work out too long. We should become larger than the problem, more large-hearted, more generous, more charitable. That is the way to solve the problems. If you understand that that is the purpose of human life, then, then we look upon every offer, even painful situation also, as a situation that comes to me to make me bigger or greater than what I am, then I think even pain also can be accepted. In fact, pain may be even more desirable sometimes. Because at one point in Srimad Bhagavatam, Lord Krishna says, that when I want to favor my devotee, I rob him of all his wealth. There is a great character in Bhagavatam of King Mahabali, all of you know that. And Lord Krishna goes to goes in front of this king. He is an emperor. He in fact rules all the three worlds. Because the king follows the instruction of his guru. 
and the gurus have initiated them into performing various Vedic rituals and therefore they grow in strength and prosperity. To such an extent, all the devatas or gods have been thrown out of them, they are sent away in exile. And so devatas seek the help of the Lord, he, he, he gets incarnated as Vamana, as a dwarf, as a, as a, as a brahmachari. And walks into the Yajna Sabha of where King Mahabali is performing a very elaborate Yajna or a, or a sacrificial ritual. And his Vamana presents himself before King Mahabali. King says, what can I do for you? I am so charmed by you. I am so happy with you just looking at you. You are so brilliant. I mean, the divinity seems to emanate from you. And I, I want to do anything. What can I want to do something for you? What can I do for you? Ask for anything that you want. And this, this Vamana says, I just want land which measures three steps. One, two, and three steps. That which I want. So, what are you talking about? I can give you half the kingdom. I can give you half the world. Ask for it. He says, no, no, no. I just want three steps. That's all I want. Okay, if that's what you want. Then Bali's guru, Bali Raja's guru, who was Sage Shukracharya, he recognized that, hey, this is not an ordinary boy or brahmachari. He's none other than Lord Narayana. So he warned his disciple. He warned Bali Raja. He says, don't give him, he has come to cheat you. Don't give him this. Don't give him three steps of land, he has come to cheat you. He will rob you of everything. So Baliraja says, if Lord himself comes before me to cheat me and rob me, who can be more fortunate than me? Let him do that. So he accepted his opportunity as an opportunity to grow. To be bigger than the problems, okay. Let us see what happens. What can Lord do? He cannot be my uh, ill-wisher, he must be my well-wisher. So against the advice of his guru, he gave charity, gave charity of that land. And then the story is well known, this dwarf really cheated him. From dwarf, he became what? He became the cosmic person. And in the first step, he measured the whole world. Second step, he measured all the other worlds. And so whatever Baliraja had, who was the king of this world and other worlds, it was all taken away in two steps. And where should I put my third step? Lord put it on my head. Third step was put on his head. And he went all the way down into Rasatran, into nether worlds. And the kingdom was given to devatas, to gods. So Brahmaji asks of Lord Narayan, so what is this? This is unfair. This Bali king is your devotee and he submitted himself to you. He placed himself at your disposal and this is what you do? It's not fair, it's not right. So then Lord says at that time that whenever I want to favor my devotee, I rob him of all his wealth. Because as long as he has wealth, 
His attention will be focused on the wealth. That's the nature of wealth. It always attracts. Take it away. He is forced to think of me. And that's how he will then turn towards me. Thus, strange are the ways of what we call blessing or grace. Grace doesn't always come as a favor. Sometimes it seems to come as a big disfavor also. But if there is, a, if there is faith or trust, why should God want to punish me? So is God punishing me? Why should he punish you? What does he have to get from you? No doubt, he is giving me the results of my action, true, but they are given in such a manner that it helps me to grow. If I have a proper attitude towards what comes before me, and that's the attitude Lord Krishna says, look upon whatever comes to you as given to you by Ishvara. That is prasada, that is grace. This, this attitude is called prasada buddhi, the graceful acceptance. This is the, this is Lord Krishna's solution of day-to-day problems. Samatvam, this, the mind that enjoys equanimity, or prasada buddhi, it, it welcomes whatever comes as prasada or as gift of God. Then you can decide what to do with the gift, you know, gift comes to you, then you decide what to do. Swami, what does it mean? Gift means I don't do anything? No, you do. The gift comes to you. Do what is appropriate with it to do. But then you look upon that as a gift. Whether it is favorable, or it looks favorable, or looks unfavorable. So this is Lord Krishna's solution to our day-to-day problem, situational problems. What is situational problem? That I react to situations. Situations provoke me. Situation seems to push my buttons, provoke me with anger, resentment, with elation. So Lord Krishna says that, may you adopt this attitude of prasada buddhi, in which case you will not be provoked, you will have a very positive or proper attitude. And thus a devotee of God takes every situation as an opportunity of growth. He looks upon every situation as the blessing of the Lord. And so, this is the solution to the situational problems. <clears throat> Both the kind of solutions Lord Krishna gives. This is the background behind the sixth chapter. We'll continue in the next class. <clears throat> Om Puramada Puramidam Purat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutauvande Bhagavantavunapya Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Lakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti Shanti Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha
ਹੈ ਨਹੀਂ